Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Euthanasia Pro and Con. My name is James M. Russell. Our guest today is Dr. David Swanton, Director of the organization Ethical Rights. To quote from his website, Ethical Rights has been established to challenge people to think more rationally about important ethical, human rights, scientific, and related issues. Dr. Swanton has a doctorate in theoretical chemistry. He is a euthanasia advocate, ethicist, atheist, humanist, scientist, writer, and outspoken opponent of discrimination. He is also a chapter coordinator for Dr. Philip Netsky's voluntary euthanasia organization, Exit International. The website for Dr. Swanton's Ethical Rights Organization is www.ethicalrights, all one word, dot com. Dr. Swanton, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks Thanks very much, James. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, great that you're developing these podcasts on euthanasia. Dr. Swanton, why is it important for people to think more rationally about life-altering issues? Uh, That's a very good question, James, because... Rational reasoned approaches are used all too rarely on issues that may draw some sort of visceral reaction from people. There's a great deal of sensationalism, particularly in issues such as voluntary euthanasia. So rationality or basing decisions on facts or reason is important because it's a means by which we can solve problems and assess whether one option is more valid than another. And now we use a rational approach to solve problems in science and medicine using, for example, the scientific method and one that I'm very familiar with. But it's also important that we do this for issues in the social sciences and particularly with voluntary donation, which has many dimensions. Now, the rational approach does not involve subjective personal beliefs or religious beliefs. Now, as most of the criticism of voluntary donation comes from religions, I will focus a little bit on them as well. Now, religious beliefs are subjective because they're mainly a function of cultural indoctrination, and that's why a person who's brought up with Catholic parents in Rome is more likely to be a Catholic, and a person who's brought up with Muslim parents in Tehran is more likely to be a Muslim. So while mainstream religions generally oppose voluntary euthanasia, many religious people actually support voluntary euthanasia. In Australia, the figure was around 60% of Catholics support voluntary euthanasia. But many oppose voluntary euthanasia because their religion says so. And that's a rather unthinking attitude. So one thing I'm trying to do is to get people to think for themselves and not just do what their ancient scriptures or religion or other organisation tells them to do. So it's important to think think rationally about life-altering issues such as euthanasia. And the way I do this is the following. I want to define voluntary euthanasia and I've established a framework for looking at the issue. So, James, if it's all right, I'll define voluntary euthanasia now as a deliberate act intended to cause the death of an individual at that individual's request for what he or she sees as being in his or her best interests. Now, note here that the voluntary nature of euthanasia is explicit in this definition. It talks about at that individual's request and applies to people of sound mind. Now, of course, it's voluntary and applying to people of sound mind. That's what makes it ethically right. 
So bodily behaviour is a matter of individual autonomy. It's what I do with my, bo my body. Unfortunately, the voluntary nature is often forgotten by opponents. So the framework, given that definition, the framework I have for looking at voluntary behaviour is what I call the ERIC framework, which stands for Ethical, Regulatory, Individual Considerations. And briefly, I won't go into this in too much detail here, but the ethical considerations need to be looked at first. And if something's ethically sound, then we can work out and look at the regulatory process that may give effect to that ethical issue or idea. And if the regulatory issues can be worked out, then the individual needs to decide how they can give effect to that. And, for example, in the case of euthanasia, the individual, individual considerations would include such things as which doctor shall I use, what drug shall I use, etc. So briefly, the ethic, and just expand on this just slightly, the ethical philosophical rights, I think, are well known for euthanasia, and the arguments for euthanasia are mainly of an ethical variety. So I'd say voluntary euthanasia, and I would contend that voluntary euthanasia is acceptable ethically because you know most about your life more than any others. It's voluntary. The ethicist and philosopher John Stuart Mill said in his treatise on liberty that over himself, over his own body and mind, the individual is sovereign. So what we do with who we marry, who we have sex with, how we spend our money, which house we buy, whether we have a gay marriage, whether we have abortion, whether we have premarital sex, whether we have voluntary euthanasia, these are all matters for the individual and not the state because they are essentially individual matters that do not affect others. And often, for example, with voluntary euthanasia, when people say it affects others, well, it affects others, of course, the person dies. But we're all dying anyhow. They might just die three weeks in advance. And that's not an argument against voluntary euthanasia. It's an argument against dying. The arguments against voluntary euthanasia are very much a very religious or rights perspective, sanctity of life, which is a religious objective, or the right to life. And we all have a right to life, but it's just that sometimes people might not want to exercise that right. A right to life is not a duty. And also we, we have the situation in Australia and around the world, and even in Canada, where thousands of people are now accessing illegal drugs, to have it in a cupboard or under a rock in their garden, just in case they are possibly terminally ill. So given that I've said that euthanasia is ethically right, the next step is how are we going to regulate this? And that's where the issues come up. Because most models around the world are of the medical model, where doctors need to be involved. I prefer a slightly more expanded model, a human rights model. Because we have a right to die, then I see no reason why doctors need to be involved. But from a regulated perspective, they probably do want doctors involved because to make sure that people are eligible for voluntary euthanasia and are not, for example, um, momentarily depressed, they are perhaps terminally ill and it's hard to get a non-terminally ill model through a regulatory system at the moment, then you need probably doctors to assess that the person is psychiatrically sound and indeed that they're terminally ill. So most medical models have this, most medical models for regulation um, are in, in, the, in the world at the moment and that's what's in most jurisdictions. I prefer a more liberal model to that, a human rights model, where doctors' intervention is not necessarily required. Um, I should add that the, the major arguments against euthanasia are the two types, and I'll just quickly address those. First, there's the issue of the person, the individual, the patient, 
wanting euthanasia is, is a, consider themselves a burden on others and they'll be encouraged or forced or coerced into voluntary euthanasia. And this might include people like the disabled. Well, under most regulatory systems, the disabled, the elderly, they're not terminally ill. If you're not terminally ill, you're not going to qualify for regulatory systems and euthanasia under those regulatory systems. So also I don't think anyone's burden in a civilised society. Um, we should all be caring for, for our elderly, the disabled, the, 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 the ill. And I don't know of any people in my experience who, because their relative is nearing death, they're, they're trying to hasten that death. Everybody I know seems to, and the evidence seems to suggest that people want their relatives to stay around longer. The other, the other argument that's a key argument against the bond euthanasia, and it's very pervasive but not persuasive, is the slippery slope, simply the slippery slope argument. The slippery slope argument is really an argument that you put up when you have no argument because there's no evidence for it. And what you need is that there'd be more non-voluntary deaths within a tolerant, legalised, voluntary euthanasia framework after regulation than before the regulation, and that hasn't been shown to be the case in the international experiences. But also that governments or regulators might change their mind as part of being in a democratic society. We elect politicians to act as regulators to change legislation. If legislation were never going to change, we wouldn't live in a democracy. So having legislation change the possibility that could change to something else in 20 years' time, that might be good or bad, that's a function of living in a democracy, and we've got to accept that. Um, also, I think it's bemusing that the clergy and the religious or political leaders that debate always talk about the slippery slope argument, and they're often hiding their ethical objections. I would like to think that religious leaders and you know, of whatever persuasion could have at least the intellectual fortitude to make their sanctity of life argument. In my experience, they don't make the sanctity of life argument and they're arguing, again, on the burden argument or the slippery slope, slippery, slippery slope argument. They're arguing on those points, but they don't actually, are not actually honest about why they're opposing voluntary euthanasia. And finally, of course, there's individual considerations, as I mentioned, about once the regular system's defined, you can then work out how you might want voluntary euthanasia if it's allowed. However, in Australia and also around the world, because people have access to illegal drugs, People are going ahead with individual voluntary euthanasia actions and taking drugs and having euthanasia without it being legal. Now, it's legal in many jurisdictions, but it's illegal in more jurisdictions. So just to finish up here, I'd just like to say that the rational arguments rely on facts as well. For terminally ill people, we know that palliative care does not always work. We know that some people cherish quality of life over quantity of life. We know that each person knows about their pain and suffering more than other people. We also know that a right to life is not a duty to live. You have a right to choose or exercise that right or not. And therefore, on all those arguments there, James, voluntary nature should be ethically acceptable from a rational point of view. And then, as I said, the other issues are working out whether it's rational and working out whether, as an individual, you would then want to avail yourself of any legislation or not. Now... Dr. Swanton, you are the director of the organization Ethical Rights. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization, when it got started? And Okay. Um, my organization got started probably seven or so years ago. It's to advise, educate, and inform people on ethical issues, uh, to generate change, to provide rational arguments when none are present. 
Uh, and I suppose some of those issues have a scientific flavour, but the issues include things like voluntary euthanasia, supporting gay marriage, individual rights, supporting stem cell research, um, abortion, but also I oppose and rail against invidious or unjust discrimination. Now, the German philosopher Immanuel Kant once said, quote, all knowledge begins with the senses, proceeds then to the understanding and ends with reason. There is nothing higher than reason. In your experience, what happens when people stop applying reason to the euthanasia debate? Again, that's a, a good question. That's what happens a lot, James. Uh, without reason, it seems to be that those who yell the loudest, who lobby the media and politicians harder, who have the most money or have the most political influence, um, seem to have their views heard rather than the logical, rational reason. In a way, it's the tyranny of the most zealous and not the ethically right outcome. As Kant contended, uh, reason is a basis to determine what is morally right that's acceptable to all. And evidence is required. Of course, otherwise, if you get to the religious arguments, we find that the arguments from a god or an Allah can be truly countered by an argument from a Thor or a Zeus. So we do need evidence. Um, now, most religions oppose voluntary nation, again, I hark back to that, but it's, it, it, there seems to be some inconsistency here and lack of reason. Now, we note that some religions worship their gods, for which there is no evidence in a scientific sense. The followers of these religions generally believe their gods are gods to be good. Yet these religious people also claim that their gods have killed millions of innocent people and children against the world in events such as the Great Flood in the Christian religion or in the Passover. So it's rather perverse that religious leaders, and I'm talking more focusing on the leaders here, choose to advocate worship of a murderous God, while at the same time they prohibit people who want voluntary euthanasia so that they can relieve their suffering. That seems to me to be a violent ethical conflict and inconsistent with reason. Um, now, we, we'd like to think that religious opponents to voluntary euthanasia would change their minds immediately once hearing that, that they're actually worshipping a God that's murdering but opposing people who want voluntary euthanasia. But they seem to be immune to that sort of argument. It just shows you that in jurisdictions, societies around the world, that religious indoctrination is a rather strong factor in determining how people think about issues. And I suppose I'd rather think more reasoned and, and rational way about those issues. Um, I, I'd just like to say about my organisation, James, just briefly as well, that my position is that every adult of sound mind has a right to implement plans for their end of life so that death is reliable, peaceful, and at a time of their choosing. So therefore, on that, on that basis, I do go a bit beyond that medical medical model, um, and I, I, don't, I, I support the individual's right to choose and implement a peaceful death at that time of their choosing. But of course, it's actually difficult to work out whether that, that person would actually qualify and for various regulatory systems, etc. Now, Dr. Swanton, how has your organization, Ethical Rights, made a difference in, in people's lives? Well, look, we're, we're not a large organization. Um, I have a website and I'm a consultancy organization. Um, but we're providing a rational filter uh, and, and we're countering irrational arguments in Australia and I've increasingly been doing a little bit more work internationally. So 
We do do education. Um, there's lots of students seeking information from us on issues such as euthanasia and stem cell work and other issues. But by all of us critically analysing arguments and we provide comfort to others because we challenge the decision makers. We're, we're working out that voluntary euthanasia and communicating the view that voluntary euthanasia is an important issue. People have been dying. It's not in the best interest that they suffer and we need to change systems so that we have a better society. Have you had any personal experiences with euthanasia or assisted dying? Uh, look, my initial involvement in this voluntary euthanasia issue was from a philosophical perspective. My life is my life, and if I'm going to make it a bad or good decision about my life, it's going to be my decision. So if it is going to be a bad decision, if I make the wrong decision about voluntary euthanasia, that is my decision, but rather I make my own decision, whether it be good or bad, rather than somebody else tell me to do so. So it was from a rather defiant perspective of how dare others dictate to me that I and others must suffer if we are terminally ill. And look, just a, a brief story from my mother, who died relatively recently, and it was a, a terrible death. She died of pancreatic cancer. She was a wonderful woman, as all mothers are to all sons. But she had two episodes of excruciating breakthrough pain the best palliative, one of the best palliative care hospitals in Sydney, Australia. She had one required dramatic ambulance attendance as well when she wasn't there. For these pain events, there was a lack of dignity. There was, she was tolerated and showered. There was a cocktail of pills and suppositories, ongoing and frequent injections of painkillers, antiemetics. There was cannulas, vomiting, dryness, no food or drink in the last week, artificial saliva sprays lack of appetite, emaciation, and gurgling respiratory infections. And that's in addition to appearance of being in her 80s, six months pregnant because of related bowel blockage and the threat of possibly vomiting fecal matter. And knowledge that that would not be, she could not be sedated, so that scenario could never arise. Now, she did not have voluntary euthanasia. That was her informed choice. And I was happy she had that choice. But if I were in her situation with three days to go, I would have considered voluntary euthanasia and if it was legally available, I would have had it, as is everybody's right, should be everybody's right. And, of course, voluntary euthanasia is illegal in Australia, in Australia and overseas in many jurisdictions, but thousands of people are accessing drugs now. So I'm, I'm helping people by being uh, involved in the Philip Nitschke's organisation, X International, and, again, coming to many people who have, are wanting access to illegal drugs, and that's, that's the nature of the beast at the moment. Dr. Swanton, what would you like to say to my listeners, regardless of which country they live in, concerning perhaps challenges or questions that they have concerning voluntary euthanasia? Now, you go talk for a while on this one, but look, from a philosophical perspective, you've got to enjoy life's moments. We have one life, and it's... Let's enjoy that life. With respect to voluntary euthanasia, the challenges are we need to ensure that regulatory systems are in place in various countries. We need to lobby politicians and governments. We need to seek regulatory change with an undercurrent of social activism. We need to challenge subjective arguments out there, doing what I'm doing, challenging religious arguments or other arguments that are just a person's feeling, well, I don't like euthanasia, so others can't have it as well. We need to be well informed about making decisions for your, about your own body. 
need to recognize that a lot is required to overcome the status quo and the power of entrenched religious activists and in parliaments all around the world. Parliaments, of course, are sometimes reluctant to make change of a rather radical nature. And for listeners out there, we need I, I need to ensure, ask you all to prepare early your for your end-of-life plan. You need to consider the regulatory options in your own jurisdiction. You need to be prepared so if you want voluntary euthanasia, you have that option. And again, you need to be happy because life is too short not to be. Thanks, James. I hope, hope I've answered all your questions to your satisfaction. You certainly have. Dr. Swanton, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to the podcast Euthanasia Pro and Con. Our guest today was Dr. David Swanton, director of the organization Ethical Rights. The weekly episodes of this podcast will alternate between the for and the against sides of the issue. My purpose is to provide you, our listener, with all the information necessary for you to form your own position on euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide, or possibly even change your previously held position. Please subscribe to this podcast, and for information about past and future episodes, please go to our website, www.euthanasiaproandcon, all one word, no spaces, dot com. Finally, Euthanasia Pro and Con is dedicated to my friend, Jacobo Louis Fuchs, and dedicated to his son, Carlos Fox. Thanks for listening, and hope to have you back next week. Peace.